0: Today's episode of Tech Talks on the Unsettled Media Podcast Network is brought to you by Tech Impact, focused on unlocking prosperity by embracing technology. For more, head to techimpact.it.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Talks with Kathy Simpson. I'm Kathy Simpson, obviously, and I'm the CEO of Tech Impact. I'm really happy to be here today for another episode. Today, we're going to talk about Industry 4.0, automation and digital transformation. And in order to better understand where we are with automation, there's some fundamental components that we need to dive into. And I'm really thrilled to have as my guest today, Martin Davis, who's going to help us and educate us and inform us so that we better under, understand what are the elements of Industry 4.0. So welcome, Martin.
0: Hi, Kathy. I'm really pleased to be here.
1: So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do for a living and how did you get so engaged in Industry
0: 4.0? So by profession, I'm a CIO, um, a IT professional, I've been for many years. Um, but I got into uh, Industry 4.0 and how we can use data and technology to drive manufacturing. Um During uh, my time, I was uh, VP of IT at J.D. Irving for a number of years. Uh, And whilst doing that, I got a lot more into the whole manufacturing side of things and how we can improve manufacturing, getting more advanced manufacturing and automation side. And uh, kind of an interesting uh, kind of parallel to my normal IT work.
1: So based on your accent, I know you're not originally from New Brunswick. Tell us a little bit about where you went to school and how did you end up in Canada?
0: Uh, So I'm a a Brit, as you can probably guess from the accent. I grew up in the southeast of England. Um, I uh, actually worked um, in Ford Motor Company in IT um, for 23 years, most of the time in the UK, a bit of time in Detroit. Um, Moved to Canada 11 years ago. Um, We really just kind of looking for a a slower pace of life, the, you know, the overcrowding and, and pace around London was uh, getting a little bit over the top. So uh, we moved out here. And I, uh, I ended up working for JDI. And uh, that's uh, where we get to where we are now, where I'm running my own consulting company, uh, Dunelm Associates, and um, the managing partner for that. And one of the areas of specialization is around Industry
1: 4.0. So before we go in, I know you're a lover of cars. So it's always fun to learn a little bit something personal about our guests. Tell us a little bit about your love of special vehicles. Why don't you take us through that <laughs> a little bit?
0: Oh uh, well, my wife and I both both uh, like our cars. We've got a couple of Mustangs, and uh, probably my uh, one of my prized uh, cars is uh, a '94 Suzuki Samurai, which is uh, I've owned since new. Um, had it in the UK and put it in a container, shipped it over here to Canada with us, and. Uh, it uh, gets driven around every now and again. mainly goes to car shows these days, but uh, it's uh, fairly rare uh, to have a lot of them rusted, rusted away and uh, uh, the, the winters have got to them over here and things like that. So uh, that's uh, my kind of pride and joy. It's, it's a small vehicle, but uh, it's all fun.
1: Nice that you're taking good care of it. Oh, definitely. So where did you go to school?
0: Uh, I went to school uh, in south-east of England, Essex in the UK. Um, went to London University. And uh, did a a degree in computer science and mathematics. Uh, From there, I um, went to work for Ford. And whilst at Ford in the early 2000s, I did my uh, MBA at Warwick Business School, so a well known uh, uh, business school there in the UK. And uh, uh, yeah, then uh, kind of continued on my uh, IT career.
1: Well, one of the things that we're learning a lot with these podcasts is that the IT industry means you need to be doing constant learning. So today we're going to dive into Industry 4.0. And um, when we hear that term, we think of technology, we think of digitization, we think of automation. Let's just start on what is this fourth industrial revolution all about? Help us out, Martin.
0: Well, I think the first thing I would say is if you think Industry 4.0 is just about technology, you couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, there's technology that could be part of it and things like that. But fundamentally, Industry 4.0 is about using data from your equipment, from your manufacturing, from your uh, um, uh, machines to make decisions. You know, that real-time data allowing you to decide how you're going to do things or change things, allowing you to improve your processes. And those could be uh, manually making decisions. It could be in an automated form. So, yeah, for example, um, when I'm talking to companies, I say uh, start by getting some data from your machinery and understanding what's going on. Be surprised how many companies don't really understand exactly what's going on. Um, So, for example, if you start by – saying how, how much of your time or how much of its time does the machine sit idle for a particular machine? How much of its time is it down due to maintenance? And these types of aspects, and a lot of companies don't really know this, and this helps you to understand what's going on. You know, we had a, a case on a, a process-orientated manufacturing line, and they wanted to increase the capacity of the factory. And they uh, said, okay, we need to buy some more packaging machinery after encouraging them to actually look at the data of the usage of the existing packaging machinery, they found that none of it was working at more than 50% capacity because there was bottlenecks upstream. And just by pulling the data and understanding what was going on and how things were uh, were changing and how things were disrupting that kind of flow of, of product through the production line, they were able to save themselves a lot of money and solve the problem that was actually causing uh, the issue as opposed to um, just adding more equipment that wasn't really going to make any difference to
1: them. And, Martin, is it because companies aren't comfortable with collecting the data, they don't know what to do with the data because real-time data analytics has been certainly growing and the capacity and the tools to be able to capture that has been growing and being able to utilize that data is uh, a specific skill set that these organizations need. So is that part of our challenge? I,
0: I think it is, yes. There's, um, people are kind of a bit scared. What do I do with that data? How do I get it? Uh, and, and I think there's that fear, especially in the you know, maybe more the small to medium-sized manufacturers. Um, a lot of the larger manufacturers, particularly process-orientated ones, uh, are far more familiar with gathering data and using it to make decisions. Because some of this is not new. Um, You could say this is getting the uh, time series data off of manufacturing machinery. um, is The original big data, and this has been around since the 1980s and 1990s, um, but is now becoming even more mature with the way some of the uh, internet-based technologies are helping uh, make it a lot simpler and easier to actually get at the data.
1: So why do we think about technology first when we think of industry 4.0 and one of the first lines you said when we started the podcast was if you think it's all about technology it couldn't be further from the truth explain that a little bit more
0: i think people are thinking it's about technology because there's new tools uh yeah and things like iot well i'm sure we'll talk about iot in a second um, that make it a lot easier but the fundamentals still come down to getting data and using it to make decisions. And when you you look at the foundations of it, it, it's getting data, and be it if you're getting then into more complex ways of doing things, such as use of artificial intelligence or machine learning, use of robotics or automation or whatever it might be, all of those things are built on top of and use getting the right data. So if you have the data coming from your, your manufacturing to understand what's going on, that then enables you to build on that for some of the uh, maybe more complex or uh, uh, better ways of doing things using robots, using advanced manufacturing techniques, using uh, more automation and things like that. But it's fundamentally built on data. A robot only knows what to do because it's got the data to understand its surroundings and, and what's coming at it, how it's been programmed to react given that data. And the same is true for for any pieces of this. So Industry 4.0 yeah, is, the, I think the official term is that kind of cyber-physical relationship. It's that kind of combination of um, the physical objects with the, the computer, the cyber, the data side of things. And it's bringing those two things together. But fundamentally, it's a, it starts with data.
1: So, you mentioned a whole bunch of buzzwords there that we need to (laughs) unpack a little bit, and that's exactly why we're here. Why don't we start with IoT, the Internet of Things? I think of sensors, I think of monitoring tools. Talk us through what IoT actually means.
0: Okay, so IoT, it stands for Internet of Things. Um, So, it's a set of internet-based technologies um, an enabler for the connected living and, and industry and other things like that. So, yeah, think about the digital thermostat you can control via your phone, the video doorbell, or the, the light switch you can you turn on or off or program via your phone or whatever else. So that's IoT. Yeah, it's supported by um, internet-based technologies, yeah, wireless communications, those types of aspects. So, you know, we've, we've come a long way in the last few years in, in IoT. And then IOT is the industrial Internet of Things. So think about things like wirelessly connected devices and sensors, yeah, a low-cost wireless sensor that can sit on a, a piece of equipment and tell you data about what's going on. Um, yeah, think about uh, maybe a fuel tank sitting in the corner of your yard, which you've got no connectivity, no way of understanding how full, full that tank is, whether you need to get it filled But if you can get a small sensor that has a a, a SIM card in it and transmits the data, tells you how full it is, that can then be built into your rest of your processes, and you can request a fill automatically whenever that tank is getting to a certain level, et cetera, et cetera. Just simple examples, but it's that kind of um, very low-cost, small sensors that are easily connected and gives you data. But it doesn't have to be you know, the complex side of things. And you can get into you know, far more complex things. You can start very simply. And I think that's one of the key messages is don't be afraid of technology. Start simply with just you know, some simple data to get you going.
1: So, I mean, I love that because we tend to, when we work in the tech industry, make things more complex than they actually are. And that at times can make customers go, I'm not ready for that. So part of this industrial revolution is about customer acceptance, customer awareness, and culture change. Do you agree with that, Martin?
0: Yes, I I do. It it is. It's it's about not being afraid. It's about trying things. Um, It's about starting simple and starting small and building on it, Um, looking at how you can actually – Um, make better decisions. Uh, And yeah, you're not going to jump in and say, all right, um," well, some companies do, and maybe the results aren't as good as they could be. Um, You're not going to jump in and say, right, I want to buy a a robot and and I'm going to use that, or I'm going to install artificial intelligence and I'm going to use that. You need to start with, yeah, okay, what do I know? What do I not know? How would I be better to understand what is going on? And then from understanding what's going on, then you can look at where the bottlenecks are. You can look at how you would improve process, how you could, yeah, and then build on it. And and actually by building on it in a structured manner, go from that uh, kind of manual way of doing things to a more automated, more autonomous way of doing things.
1: So we're talking all the time, we're hearing all the time machine learning and AI or artificial intelligence. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that so we can you know, add that to our list of vocabulary.
0: Okay. So machine learning um, is really uh, a set of algorithms to understand uh, something. It's uh, a, a form of, it, it's, it's one form of artificial intelligence. Um, and, it, and if you look at it in, in terms of what it really means, it's the ability to take some information, some data, to process it and to understand it and draw some conclusions from it. Um, yeah that could be something like um, a, a large data set of um, from different sensors and a part of your manufacturing and then applying machine learning algorithms to that to draw conclusions to identify uh, common causes of problems um, and, and things like that so it's it's a way of processing that data to draw conclusions that might take um, a human doing it yeah many, many months or years of work to try and understand and the ability of a machine to actually try and process and understand that information.
1: And artificial intelligence?
0: Artificial intelligence is, is the kind of bigger theme of, of this. You know, machine learning is one part of it, but getting into uh, other aspects and the abilities to uh, to actually uh, draw further on that to uh, and we're not going to get it Yeah, you know, Artificial intelligence, the ultimate is kind of intelligent machines that think for themselves. We're not really into that realm yet, but we are um, kind of making advances and we're getting there. It, it can be about um, how do you actually, um, maybe I'll try, try and use an example to get, get us there better. Um, if you've got a, a machine that is, is failing, that's got various um, data coming out of, before it fails, how can you then use artificial intelligence to examine the different pieces of data coming from that machine to identify patterns earlier before the machine fails so that you're getting then into predictive analytics to determine machine failure before it happens. So that might be a form of artificial intelligence that you're actually processing that data. You're looking for patterns and machines automatically looking for patterns. So,
1: that's a great way to put it, and, and I, you know, one more word to roll up here is this word you've used a number of times, which is advanced manufacturing. And all of this is encompassed in what is advanced manufacturing. Why don't you shed some light on what you your definition of advanced manufacturing is?
0: Well, I think I would start by saying it, it starts with um, probably. Uh, better automation, so that's probably the fir- the first piece of it. So, how can we better automate a production line so that you know um, uh, material, raw material, you know, sub assemblies, or whatever, are moving through a process with minimal intervention, minimal human touch. So, better automation like that, um, and your ability to then uh, manipulate that through better equipment through robotics, through other tools like that. And then the other side of that advanced manufacturing is uh, sensors around your quality. How do you determine the quality of what's going on, spot issues that may be happening. Uh, Other monitoring tools, how fast is that part of the production line running? How often is that machine sitting idle? Um, Yeah, uh, monitoring things like uh, uh, maybe vibration or pressure or temperature. Uh, amount of uh, power consumed, all of those aspects then go into uh, yeah, central uh, control type applications that allow you to make better decisions around what your manufacturing is doing. But that's kind of taking it to the kind of far end to the right, and, and then artificial intelligence and machine learning and tools like that, then using that information that's coming to make those uh, better decisions, better control. And, and the kind of ultimate goal for some companies, if they're really getting advanced, is an autonomous factory. And I I doubt many will actually ever get in in that realms. And there's arguments for and against it. But yeah, the the ultimate advanced manufacturing is a a totally autonomous factory that needs minimal human input.
1: So I know we're doing some pretty cool things here in New Brunswick. Um, And it would be wonderful if you could, if there's some actual brands that you can mention along the way here. Um, And even if you can't, you can talk to us about some industry-specific initiatives that you've been seeing here in the province of New Brunswick and in all of Atlantic Canada, where you're really seeing examples of advanced manufacturing at work. Would you be able to share a couple of those examples with us today?
0: Uh, I can talk about some of the examples. I can't really mention um, individual companies.
1: That's okay. Um, We understand.
0: (laughs) But if you look at some of the kind of uh, examples… um, and it, it can, can vary from um, you know, things around maintenance to things around production. So let's maybe talk a, a little bit about uh, some some of those areas. Um, so uh, if you look at maintenance, yeah, maintenance used to be something breaks, you go and fix it. And if you look at that now in a more industry 4.0 way, so... Uh, over the years, we've gone from just, you know, fix it when it breaks to fix it, yeah you know, replace it every X hours. But then you can get more into condition-based maintenance, which says getting data from the equipment tells me the condition of that equipment and allows me to say, okay, the condition is starting to deteriorate. I need to replace that tool, that pump, that bearing, whatever it might be. If you, so it gone, Cathy.
1: No, I was going to say what's really important about that is we sometimes can underestimate the costs associated with not being proactive, but being reactive in areas like predictive maintenance because we're we don't necessarily think about being on a ship in the middle of the ocean and something breaks down um, and what the cost of that is or training that needs to happen remotely versus being able to do that using some you know tools that you're talking about today. So you know, sometimes it may not feel like this is a big deal, but for many of these applications, moving to a proactive maintenance kind of model means hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars that could be at stake oh, and, yeah. and yeah, productivity. Definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then, and if you, if you think about just, – just think about um, if you have a, a, a major bearing failure on a big piece of machinery, that can then have knock-on effects to other bits of the machinery. You could have a bearing that may cost a few thousand dollars failing, but causing a larger component, which may cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fail. Whereas if you replace that bearing in a timely manner, you would not have that unplanned downtime. You would not have the loss of production. You would not have those additional repair costs. And all of that very quickly adds up. If you've got a manufacturing facility that's not working for two or three days while you're trying to source you yeah, major components you've got to replace and the time to replace them and everything else, that's thousands of dollars. Whereas, yeah, if you actually um, are able to predict when something's likely to fail, you know, and a bearing's a good example. Um, the, if you can, you know, measure temperature, vibration and other aspects like that and be able to predict the lifetime of that bearing, then you can replace it before it needs to, yeah, you know, um, to fail, before it happens to fail. And, and you know, Avoid that downtime, but it's also the the, the other side. It, it, some people said, "Okay, I'm very cautious. I'm going to I'm going to yeah, replace that bearing every 5,000 hours, but that bearing may last 10 or 15,000 hours, or it might last 3,000 hours, depending on how well it's made. So even if you're replacing it 5,000 hours, you could still have a problem, or you could be throwing away two thirds of the life of that." And bearing, which are then going to cost you a load more money if you're able to use data to predict so you're getting more to predictive maintenance um, and then even into using artificial intelligence with predictive maintenance, then you're in a far better situation to replace that bearing before it becomes a problem, but get a useful life from it as well so it's all about you know cost efficiency, avoiding downtime
1: and asset management obviously.
0: Yes, and that whole thing around asset management—you you, you kind of take that um, kind of condition-based, predictive, and prescriptive type maintenance approach uh, across multiple assets and across you know, your whole manufacturing facility. You get into that bigger picture of asset tracking and management. How do I know the health of my overall factory or multiple factories or whatever it is? How do I know what is going on? That uh, that data is coming in. How do I know how much I'm producing? How do I, how do I know? Um, amount of energy I'm consuming to make that uh, uh, that particular piece of uh, yeah product.
1: Well, it makes me think about big data and data analytics and why that area has exploded in the last decade. And you were with us from the very beginning when we had the Big Data Congress here in St. John a number of years ago, mm, um, yes. and we really got the conversation going about big data analytics. But this data didn't exist 25 years ago. Now it exists. And now we're getting into predictive analytics and so much more. It really has exploded the way that we're approaching how we make things, how we operate things, and how we think about the types of careers there are because the tools have gotten less expensive that we can use. And now we have data coming from all, all these sources, but we can actually do something with it. So it really has changed the way that the analytics industry is working, and I think that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure some of my manufacturing colleagues would uh, uh, would be say, saying right now, saying, well, we've been doing this stuff for, since the 90s or whatever else, and, and some marketing person just kind of uh, coined this term big data and everybody else jumped on the bandwagon. Um, but I, I think what it, what it has done is um, – this acceleration of use of data and massive amounts of data and the ability to process it um, has really uh, helped drive the capabilities forward and the abilities to actually process these massive volumes of data, use machine learning, artificial intelligence, and other things like that on the data. Yeah, these are tools that we didn't have uh, way back, and it's made this whole area, as you said, explode, and the, and the possibilities and the opportunities. And I think one thing to comment as well is that within this, yeah, we talk a lot about IoT and yeah, Internet of Things in the in the house and, and yeah, those types of things. If you look at the possibilities from an Industry 4.0 perspective within manufacturing, it's massively larger than the, the domestic market. You're talking billions of dollars of possibility mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, improved performance, improved efficiency, and other capabilities like that, which which is worth a lot more than the selling a few video doorbells.
1: Well, if our economist friend David Campbell was here on the line with us, or if Herb Emery was here on the line with us, they'd be talking about productivity and how important productivity improvements is to our economy. And you've been involved in the JDI Roundtable on Manufacturing Competitiveness in New Brunswick with Herb. Tell us a little bit about that program and the research that's been happening there to assist some of the manufacturers in their competitiveness.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, yes, yeah, so um, JDI um, worked with uh, UNB and with Herb Emery uh, to put this together a couple of years ago, and a lot of the core the was how can we make our manufacturing in New Brunswick uh, better more efficient, how can we grow it? Can we grow exports from it and things like this? Um, so I got involved. I, I put together a an industry 4.0 maturity model um, that looks at different aspects of industry 4.0 and helps a manufacturer judge you know, where they are on the continuum and where they could improve and how they could be better. So the Roundtable on, on Manufacturing Competitiveness has used that as a basis to uh, survey manufacturers around the province. And they've been doing that fairly recently. They've got a, an amount of data which they're processing through now to try and understand what opportunities there are, um, and particularly for things like government funding, you know, COA funding, things like that. Um, how can that be put to better use to help improve manufacturing? And so that's some of the conclusions they're looking to to get from those uh, survey results.
1: So since you mentioned that maturity model, could you share with our listeners a little bit more about what some of the fundamentals are there? I, I'm looking at it right now, and I think it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, and you notice that it's not all about technology. <laughs> it's
1: kind of, It certainly isn't. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing. You you talk about leadership and people um, right off the, the top of the page there. So it, it certainly isn't.
0: Yeah, so the the, the base of the maturity model, if you look at what Industry 4.0 is really about, it's about a wide spectrum of different things. And it starts with leadership and people. How do you put appropriate governance within your organization in in, in place? And how do you have a good strategy for what you're going to go about? And, And how are you going to get some small wins and build on those wins and drive things forward? And key within that is change management, organizational change management, because unless you're actually getting the people who are doing the work fully on board and understanding you know, the benefits and why the company needs to do this, why, yeah, why we need to change the way we and how we improve things and things like that, then you're not going to get that far. And for that as well, you need talent. You need good talent. You need good people who are going to run with this. Who, who have you got who's got an aptitude for using data and information? Yeah, Can you bring in uh, somebody else to help you, somebody who's got some talent there? Can the uni- one of the universities get involved? Can you yeah bring in a system integrator or somebody like that can help you? So it, when I say talent, it's not just about hiring the right people. It could be bringing in appropriate partners. Um, and then if we carry on, the, the next bit is about data and information. We talked quite a bit about that, collecting it, using it, integrating it, adding sure. to it. Yeah, uh, And then we get to the manufacturing, the more advanced automation and, and robotics and maintenance and safety uh, and those aspects. And we've talked uh, yeah, a reasonable amount about that. Um, and most manufacturing people know about operational excellence. Um, It's a buzzword that's uh, very key to this, and it talks about things like availability and downtime and performance and quality and process improvement and digital modeling of what you have. There's various different aspects to that. And and those pieces of data go up to make a number called overall equipment efficiency, OEE, which most manufacturing people have heard of. It's a a fundamental way to measure how good am I doing in this particular machine center this production line or this plant and then an area people often forget which is supply chain yeah how do you actually look at your supply chain and how does that impact what you're doing and that's both upstream and downstream so upstream uh, supply chain your flow of raw materials to the plant and if you're a a big automaker um, or something like that you may practice something like just in time delivery of raw materials to your plant and met And and those bigger uh, plants like that often do those types of things. But even for a small manufacturer, understanding what's happening in your supply chain, when those uh, uh, different raw materials are going to arrive, it's key, because you may not be able to schedule some of your manufacturing before those raw materials are there. So it's very, very key to understand. But also, yeah, you also track, obviously, your deliveries to your customer going downstream as well. I find most companies are better at tracking the downstream piece than the upstream. Um, They'll track what's going out to the customer because the customer complains otherwise. They maybe don't put as much effort into tracking um, the raw materials. And if you can get your uh, supplier to provide you data around uh, the shipments, they're going where the shipments are and you can be able to track the shipments far more, then that all helps you with your supply chain side. And then last but not least, um, technology. The ability to have everything connected, Internet of Things, you know, low-cost wireless sensors, uh, and even getting further into technology, things like augmented reality.
1: So what are you hoping that this maturity model is going to do for businesses here in Atlantic Canada? What was your goal when you pulled this together?
0: My goal was, was to try and explain Industry 4.0 in a, a maybe a less threatening way because um, each of these individual items within these six categories has a a spectrum of yeah kind of beginner through to advanced type usage so yeah for example if you take the data side of things you know are you just manually collecting some data um, with a, a stopwatch and a clipboard or are you you know, fully uh, connected and networked so that that data is flowing through into a uh, yeah, specialist database to collect it, and you can automatically analyze it? Yeah, those are kind of different ends of a continuum. And even if you're just moving, you one step further to the right. You're improving. So there's no right or wrong answer around this. Yeah, nobody's going to be on the far right hand side of every single ca- um, item within every single category here. But it builds a picture, it builds a profile, and it gives you uh, some opportunities to how do I move to the next step. So for example, if I'm collecting data manually, well, what's the next step? Well, maybe that the uh, machine I'm using there, there is some software that comes with it from the manufacturer that allows me to actually grab that data in a more automated um, fashion and just dump it into Excel. Yeah, that's an improvement from gathering the data manually. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm I'm envisioning, Martin, that you know, you know, how does this all come together when you think about this model? And I'm thinking, I'm a manufacturer, I take this model, I have someone like yourself, who walks in works with me. And I'm able to do this discovery that says this is how I'm working today. These are the outcomes I'm trying to achieve, I'm having some challenges in these areas. And you know, now I'd like to really talk to you about these six components of your maturity model you kind of do that discovery. And I suppose for a business, it could feel overwhelming. But how do you help them get through that so that you leave there going, this is how you can get started, really thinking about industry 4.0 and automation?
0: And I think you have to start with, as you said, the discovery of where are they now? Uh, And from where are they now, you can then look at what their objectives might be. And that then helps you drive you know, them defining the how their their strategies and for moving forward, a- and looking at nice simple e- simple easy steps, um, and that might be in a particular area. It might be more general. You know, maybe the problem they have is um, they are um, bottlenecks in a certain area of their plant. So, okay, what data do we have right now for that area of the plant? What data can we get? How do we get it? What can we do to get that data? How can we then analyze it? And then use that to say, okay, what's causing the bottleneck? And by yeah, you know, just taking small steps and then looking, okay, the bottleneck is caused by this or that or whatever. How do we change the manufacturing process? And this is where um, getting the data into the hands of the right people. You know, a good process engineer um, – your manufacturing process engineer will be able to you know, take that data, utilize it, say, okay, we need to redesign the manufacturing process slightly. We need to change the production line slightly, or whatever it might be, in order to eliminate that bottleneck. And, and then by doing those things, you're then getting yeah a better manufacturing facility, yeah, improving your capacity, and therefore delivering better results overall.
1: And improving your operational excellence along the way.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think if you actually going um, kind of work through the different aspects here there are um some people that confuse uh, yeah iiot I- industrial internet of things with industry 4.0 and in you iiot is just a one enabling technology within the bigger picture of industry 4.0 yeah but there's a lot more this that whole thing around in some ways industry 4.0 is around a strategy it's almost a philosophy how do I approach things? How do I use data and things like uh, uh, techniques like Lean or Six Sigma or other things like that to make better decisions? And then using the data you're getting from the industrial internet, from IoT devices, from your machines you already have, that then allows you to deliver better performance, better competitive advantage, etc.
1: I think it's, I really like that definition that you just used and finished off there because I I find, you know, you can look at this model and uh, hopefully it's one I can share in the blog post and we'll take a snap of it and show it to everybody. Um, But one of the things that I've found is so similar with so many technology projects. If you go in and do that sort of discovery and say this is the current situation, these are the challenges, these are the outcomes, um, there are technology solutions, but often it's process management or other changes that need to happen in the organization. But the fundamental approach to discovering the opportunity is so similar, whether it's in this sort of an environment or another environment. And that's and we've got good technology companies who can do that work here in Atlantic Canada. So if if I need this sort of help, Martin, where do I go?
0: I think there's a, a lot of good places to go. There's uh, uh, definitely starting with... Um, some of the equipment manufacturers you're using is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. They've often got built-in ways of getting you data and helping you understand how that uh, piece of equipment's better used. That would be a great place to start. If you're looking to get more advanced, then there are uh, system integrators out there. There's a a, a number that are uh, local to Atlantic Canada uh, that do a lot of good work with uh, different companies, including the likes of JDI McCain and other people like that. Yeah, yeah, they can help you yeah, connect to your different machines and bring data together to help you analyze it. Um, and, and from a you know, strategic standpoint, my company can help you know, a little bit on the uh, Industry 4.0 strategic side of things. Um, so it really depends on what your goals are. Um, yeah, and then what the pieces are. Going back to the model, it's about what your actual you know, objective is and, and starting from there and, and then with the leadership and the strategy and the saying, you know, what, what do you want to achieve?
1: So if we, th- we think about that, I, I think of, you know, a company may have lots of data, they may have the sensors and the tools in place, but maybe they don't have the data infrastructure. So you can bring in someone who has that data analytics or maybe someone's missing that process engineer and you bring in someone who can provide that. So it could be an engineering firm. It could be a technology consulting firm. It could be the manufacturer. There's lots of places to go to get support like this.
0: There there are uh, consultants around the province that specialize in Six Sigma, for example, specialize in um, process control, process engineering, and other aspects like that. There's a a lot of different options out there.
1: What's really exciting for us right now is that we've launched the Digital Boost program here in New Brunswick. Um, Within four weeks, we were full. Um, And we're working with a number of companies now with multiple technology providers, and some of the projects that they are looking at would fall into this sort of model. Some are looking at how do they improve their manufacturing processes, the types of data that they're getting out of their manufacturing lines. And then we've got others that might be thinking about, you know, I need to be able to expand my operations. I need to have a stronger digital workforce and digital tools to be able to do that. So it's really fun right now being at Tech Impact, watching this digital boost program unfold and seeing how many businesses are starting this sort of digital transformation. And I hope that we're going to see even more in the days and and months ahead. So I always like to have a section and finish up talking about careers, Martin. And, you know, right now there's, um, I think there couldn't be a more exciting time to work in the technology field. And when I look at advanced manufacturing, people might say, geez, what kind of skills am I building if I work in advanced manufacturing or I work in machine learning or uh, Iiot? What do you talk about?
0: I think there is so many opportunities. As you said, the possibilities are almost endless. Yeah, there's everything from the data and the analytics side of things. Yeah, you talked about big data. Um, but then getting into, as you said, the, the advanced manufacturing aspect. Yeah, the uh, a process engineer of today is not like one of uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, process engineer then would, might be out on the shop floor the whole time. Now it's far more, um, more a data scientist than anything else and looking at, the data that's there and how it's being used, and how the manufacturing side of things needs to change based on that data and analytics. So, there's so many different things, and there's some great programs at local universities that are, are delving into data and analytics in different forms. Uh, and yeah, and in, within the engineering schools and the computer science side of things. So, there's such a, uh, a, a realm of possibilities out there.
1: What about those technical skills of learning how these sensors and other tools work? Are we seeing some of that expanding in the college system as well?
0: I think we're seeing definitely more IoT-based uh, uh, engineering, engineering and programming going on. And how can I actually use IoT sensors? Um, yeah, we've seen even at um, the more junior levels, you know, things like the spaces. Yeah, with uh, uh, intelligent clothing and things like that. So there's, uh, we're seeing a lot more of that coming through uh, the school system and into universities. So the, the the possibilities are endless, I think.
1: But we're talking architects, we're talking programmers, we're talking project managers, business analysts, data centric uh, professions. It really feels like um, a degree in mathematics and engineering and computer science you can't go wrong if you really have a love for this sort of, this sort of uh, technology space
0: Oh definitely and there's yeah you know, I, I started as a, a, yeah, a computer science and maths um, degree and kind of built my IT career through there and then got involved more into the manufacturing space and uh, yeah, crossed over. From that perspective, got more into the manufacturing, and it's a fascinating world. And it's one that ha- has had a bit of a bad reputation in some ways of being a bit dirty and not that sexy in the past. But I think with the the way the industrial internet is growing and the uh, the way these enabling technologies are enabling things like Industry 4.0, yeah, the possibilities out there are uh, uh, large and, and increasing.
1: So as we wrap up and we think about performance and productivity and having a competitive advantage, any final thoughts on, on what we need to do, um, the private sector collaborating with academia, with the government, anything that we need to do that's off the top of your head to really help drive the adoption of these tools, in order for our Atlantic Canadian businesses to remain competitive and thrive, and we're at a very trying time in our economy. There's no question about it. So, anything that you think we're missing, or any advice that you would give us,
0: I think the um, we have a lot of small to medium sized manufacturers, and they get, yeah maybe scared when they, they hear terms like industry 4.0 and they associate it with technology immediately and they say, oh my God, that's going to cost me lots of money. And, and yeah, it's too complex. I don't have the people to get involved in that type of stuff. Um, but I think my, my advice would be try not to be too afraid on the possibilities and look at starting simple and building. Yeah, building small steps. It doesn't have to cost that much. The The, the downside, if you don't, is other countries and other provinces and other manufacturers elsewhere will take Brave Pill and will get it more into this and yeah. they will then become far more competitive. And so we have to kind of stay on top of this. Otherwise, um, we will get far, further behind in terms of our manufacturing competitiveness.
1: Well, and I think, you know, looking at that maturity model that you developed, it it kind of lays it out to give us, you know, some really great insights on an approach to make it not seem so daunting, because it really can be quite straightforward if you take an approach of discovery and work your way through, as we discussed earlier in the podcast.
0: No, definitely, yeah. And it's, it's, it's start with some simple data, yeah. Start with a clipboard and a, and a stopwatch and actually understand what's going on. Um, I've always found it amazing when you look at uh, downtime of machines. Just take that one example. Most people say no. I have very little downtime, and if you actually set someone to measure it, and they're horrified to find how much time that machine is down or sitting idle or whatever else, and it can be a real eye opener. And then, and each obviously each minute of downtime of that machine is dollars that you're not getting or dollars you're wasting.
1: It's so true. Well, Martin, it's been a, a real pleasure to have you. You've been a big supporter of the technology industry here in Atlantic Canada and a big supporter of tech impact and always provide us good insights and really appreciate the opportunity to kind of break down what industry 4.0 is all about. And I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it. So thanks very much.
0: Thanks Kathy. It's been great.
1: I was really looking forward to this episode with Martin. There are so many buzzwords in the tech industry, in all industries, and our time together gave us a chance to break down a handful of them. Industry 4.0, advanced manufacturing, IoT, IIoT, machine learning, big data, and AI. Did I get them all? We knocked a handful off of our list in this episode. You know, manufacturing facilities look nothing like they used to. And as Martin described, we have sensors and complex hardware and software solutions that feed us data that is being used to drive better decisions about the way we work. Martin made it so simple. It comes down to improving business performance and achieving better outcomes. I really hope you found it helpful to see how no matter where you are in your technology readiness or maturity, there are talented organizations in the region that can help you create a plan, and an approach to understand what makes sense to solve your business needs. And yet again, like some of our other podcast guests have shared, ultimately, technology is just one piece of the solution. It comes down to leadership, change management, talent, network infrastructure, business need, financial implications, and technology, of course. He described that well as the industry 4.0 maturity model, an approach to drive operational excellence. The possibilities are endless ahead, and that includes careers that are available right now in this field. We need more deep technical skills, and the roles range from engineers, data scientists, process designers, developers, business analysts, entrepreneurs, and more. Unlocking more talent and ensuring we have a steady supply is a regional priority. Last week's podcast with the Deans of Computer Science at Dalhousie and the University of New Brunswick reiterated they are on a growth plan. I'm awfully glad that they are. So what's coming up next? We've got cybersecurity right around the corner. A little mini-series, actually, because we've got so much to share on this important cluster. We're so glad you're here listening to the thought leaders in our region. Once we post our episode story at techimpact.it, we'll have links to Martin's blog so you can check out more on Industry 4.0. See you soon on the next Tech Talks with Kathy Simpson.
0: Tech Talks is brought to you by Tech Impact. Learn more at techimpact.it. The podcast is hosted by Tech Impact CEO, Kathy Simpson. It's produced by me, Matt George. It's engineered by the great Zachary Peltier and is part of the Unsettled Media Podcast Network.